welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a crack rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin on this show we don't just talk professional tennis of course there's fantastic atp wta action going on the olympics of course the event that has captured all of us tennis fans attention we break down all of that action on the mini break podcast but of course on this show we want to explore some of the big picture items of late we've had guests like david kane jeff sackman garen Nathan, Ben Rothenberg, David Gertler, to break down some of the biggest storylines heading into this 2021 summer. Of course, we've talked about ATP and WTA players to keep an eye on. We've broken down the analytics of this season. We've talked American tennis, where we're at right now. But there are so many other levels of tennis that are fluid throughout the year as well. We talk collegiate tennis so frequently on this show. Chris Hallioris, Matt Stokoyak joining me to break it all down. No regular season action, but we here at Cracked Rackets just hosted a summer ITA event that was so much fun. And I know there were events similar to it happening across the country right now. You look at the junior level, you've got Kalamazoo and San Diego right around the corner. The girls and boys 16s and 18s championships offering wild cards for the 16s winners into the main draw of the U.S. Open Junior Slam. For the 18s winner, a wild card into the U.S. Open main draw. Those are two events certainly to keep on your radar as a tennis fan. And we are so fortunate that we are going to be able to be joined by the GOAT Colette Lewis later on this week to preview those two events talk a couple of big picture items right now across american tennis as well but on this podcast we're focusing on the collegiate level and this is a topic we are exploring here today for the first time but it will be the first of many times on this show as one of the most impactful decisions perhaps the most impactful decision of the 21st century came down in collegiate athletics over the past few months in particular of course i am referring to the spring court's ruling in favor of granting collegiate athletes more autonomy to make money by selling their name, image, and likeness rights. Those name, image, and likeness rights referred to as NIL colloquially. And of course, that's a decision that's going to impact not just this upcoming season, but generations of collegiate athletics to come. Uh, Certainly, it's a fight that has been happening for a long time. These athletes who have full-time jobs when they're in college, yes. They, of course, have the benefits of scholarship, and when you're talking football and basketball, which, let's be honest here, are the players best positioned, certainly to benefit off of this full-time jobs for them, but for the non-revenue athletes, the Olympic sport athletes as well, ask a college tennis player how much time he's spending on the practice courts in the workout room thinking about his athletics. Of course, he's got to make sure his academics match up as well, and then, of course, you're you're in college. You want to have a social life, and so it is a full-time job. And to be able to benefit off of that job, certainly to be able to benefit off of your success as well. And you know the athletes who are most successful are going to be best positioned to benefit from this NIL decision. Uh, It's a decision that's going to impact not just the current generation of athletes, but of course recruiting. How are schools going to approach this from their perspective of course they'll have to figure out what the rules are because it's very unclear what the rules governing all of these nil decisions are going to be and of course not only from a recruiting perspective but the flip side from the players who are juniors and 
have built Instagram followings or are having success? How does this decision impact them? What do parents need to do to be prepared? So many questions coming out of this decision. That is why, like I mentioned, we're talking about it for the first time today. It will not be the only time, but I could think of no better guest to join me to break it all down than the founder of Parenting Aces, a fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network host, friend here, of our Crack Rackets programs. It's Parenting Aces Lisa Stone joining us on the show today to talk all things NIL. Again, we explain why the decision marks a significant victory for athletes across the country. We offer our biggest concerns moving forward and so much more. It is a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy, of course. Before we get to that, and I apologize for the long-winded intro, I'll be brief here. You guys know, turn a tennis Best grip in the business, sales at uniquesports.com or 800-554-3707 to join the Turner Tennis team. They'll also offer you free uh, samples, some discounted college pricing. If you mentioned we here at Crack Racket sent you, we would appreciate that as well. We are so grateful for their support. The least we can do, ask you to support them. Again, contact sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707 to join the Turner family today. A shout out to our listeners, a shout out to our Patreon family as always for their continued support. And again, I mentioned this earlier, but if you want to catch up on the many events happening across the profession, Professional Tennis World, the Mini Break Podcast, and of course, for all of our content, CrackedRackets.com. But for now, on this episode, we're talking NIL ruling, its impact on the collegiate landscape moving forward with parenting aces Lisa Stone. Westoff, get to that conversation. Roll the credits. Let's start today's show. Hey, Cracked fans. Before we get back to today's episode, I just want to let all of you listeners know that all of the content we produce here at CR is made possible due to the support we get from our friends over at Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming equipment in the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That's right, folks. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. And in a twist of poetic justice, I think our friends at Manscaped know the grass court season is upon us here in the tennis world. In honor of that grass court season, they just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawn Mower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawn Mower 4.0. You can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their most sensitive region of their body with this exclusive offer for you. You can get 20% off and free world Worldwide shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. That's right. They let us stick with the tennis theme. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com. And look, a little personal testimonial. I think anyone who's met me in two seconds will be like, eyebrows, thick, legs, very hairy. Guess what? It looks that way everywhere, folks. And I can tell you firsthand, Manscaped gets the job done. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEWBALLSPLEASE at manscaped.com and make shaving time your favorite time. Manscaped.com. The promo code is NEWBALLSPLEASE. Joining us on the podcast today, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's only her second appearance here 
on our Cracked Racket shows. Of course, it is fitting, though, as last week we had the pod father, Mike Cation, on the line. We now have the pod mother on the line joining us on today's show. You may know all of her work from the fantastic platform that is Parenting Aces. I know her as my friend Lisa Stone. Lisa, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. Alex, you are my friend too. And I'm just so happy to be back. And yeah, it's weird. This is only the second one because I feel like, you know, we talk a lot, but this is only the second time we've recorded it and put it out there for the world, right? I I completely agree with you. I start to like do the math. I've met Matt Stokowiak in person one time. I've been in the same room with Jamie McDonald three times in my life. Like I feel like I know Randy Master over at Tennis One. He and I have never met in person. And I'm like, yeah. Well, that can't be true, and it's right. and it's no, it, it's crazy to think. And you're right; it's. It, I wish we had recorded some. Well, maybe I don't wish we had recorded some of our <laughs> other conversations. But um, no, I appreciate that you are always someone I can bounce ideas off of. Always someone that, again, is just interested in all aspects of the tennis world. And of course, given how long it has been since we have spoken, things are going well at Parenting Aces from afar. It looks like you guys are rocking and rolling. I mean, you know, we're continuing to tweak here and there and just trying to figure out the best way to reach the most tennis families, honestly. Um, You know, I say this all the time, but the biggest heartbreak for me is to have a parent come up to me and say, gosh, I wish I'd known about you five years ago. And I'm like, (laughs) why didn't you? Yeah, I've been here. I've been here 10 years. Like, no excuses. So it's on me to do a better job to get the word out. And, you know, being on platforms like Cracked Rackets and Great Shot Podcasts, that's the way to do it. So I've, thanks for having me, Alex. No, I appreciate you saying that. I get ma- angry when people are like, oh, I love your Monday match analysis show. And I'm like, that's actually Gil Gross. Like, I get it. The eyebrows. <laughs> like, yeah, we're both Jewish. <laughs> but, like, that's not me. Or, like, people are like, oh, you sounded great on whatever. And I'm like, no, that's, again, not me. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I agree. <laughs> I, I appreciate all you do to promote every. You know, it's not a tweet until I see it's liked by parenting aces. I'm like, all right, that's a good one. I'm like, that was a good one. Um, But no, it it is always a pleasure to get the chance to speak with you. And of course, speaking of your interactions with families, the reason I wanted to have you on today, a decision that impacts all aspects of the tennis world, the professional ranks, the junior ranks, and of course, most importantly, the college ranks, the decision coming, I suppose, from the Supreme Court, but the new uh, decision being that athletes are going to be allowed to market uh, themselves, going to be allowed to profit off of their image while participating in college athletics. And look, many of the particulars are still up in the air. And I know, Lisa, you read the decision to a T. And if you want to cite, you know, the precedents, 1997, uh, oh, yeah. Gruskin versus <laughs> public school of Bloomfield Hills, because I was obviously the best looking two-year-old out there. And it was like, my parents were like, get him in the Gerber's ads. Um, but, you know, uh, beyond that, let's let's look big picture here, because sure. this has been a discussion that has surrounded college athletics forever. But college tennis, I think, is particularly interesting. And I guess here's where I want to start. Let's start the conversation, but here's where I really want to start. Um, You look at the futures level, 15K events, 
25k events so much is frequently made about players just not making a living at that level and in particular the struggles that that takes it just you're discouraged from pursuing professional tennis you're like why am i doing this when i am paying to be a professional athlete it doesn't make sense well the most uh, my immediate reaction to this decision was huh you know, the very best in college tennis who are already playing at the best schools, maybe they stay in college for that extra third, fourth years because you know those best schools are going to be able to offer them some sort of deal. And honest to God, those deals are going to be better than your first two years of grinding at the futures. So I look at this decision, and of course I'm biased, but like, great thing for college tennis. I mean, I hope so. I I hope that's the first thing that these athletes are thinking, especially the ones that have the goal to go pro after their college experience. Or, you know, like you're mentioning, the ones that plan to go to college for a year or two years and then turn pro and grind it out on these lower level tours. It's brutal, not just for the player, but for the player's supporters, (laughs) you know, typically the parents who are writing the (laughs) checks, supporting them out there. I mean, it's it's crazy, and it's going to be really interesting to see how much is is put on the players themselves to kind of capitalize on their image, their name, image, likeness, um, and how much is put on the school to promote these players and help them. And it's kind of like as I started really digging into this, one of the things that kept popping into my brain was the comparison between this and going through the recruiting process to begin with. And one of the things I've always pushed on parenting aces is what a valuable experience it is for a junior tennis player to drive their own recruiting process, to learn how to market themselves, to learn how to interact with coaches and, you know, learn how to clean up their social media so that they are attractive and, and all of the little nuances that go into getting recruited to play at the collegiate level, whether it's division one, two, three, NAIA, JUCO, doesn't matter. Um, that process is very similar for all but the very tip top of a recruiting class. And so this whole notion of being able to market yourself and make money from it is kind of a natural extension from learning how to market yourself when you're going through recruiting. So I, I love this. And as you know, Alex, you know, for most of these kids that are have the goal of playing college tennis, they've never had the opportunity to hold a job, you know, mm-hmm. a summer job or an internship or any anything else because all of their time has been spent training and preparing and getting better so they're ready to play at the collegiate level and higher. So now all of a sudden they have a potential income stream. How cool is that? Oh, absolutely. It's not it's not only the job, it's the fact that, you know, again, if they did have a job, it was feeding tennis balls. And right. now you still get to profit off of that skill that you have spent so much of your early life crafting and, you know, to go big picture and I got to give credit to Dan Murphy ESPN. He did a big piece kind of laying out the timeline. It started September 2019, California introduced legislation stating that in 2023, schools would no longer be allowed to punish athletes who accept endorsement money while in college. The NCAA called that legislation an 
existential threat to college amateur sports when it was first introduced. Ultimately, the NCAA uh, tried to introduce new ruling to ensure that that wouldn't be allowed to be enforced. And there was a lawsuit. It goes to the Supreme Court. Ultimately, it was a case called Alston versus the NCAA. It was an antitrust lawsuit. The Supreme Court first heard, uh, agreed to hear the court case in December of 2020. They began hearing arguments in March. It came out June 21st. They ruled against the NCAA in its appeal, issuing an opinion that dealt a significant blow to the organization's argument that it should receive special antitrust treatment because of its academic mission. The justice's ruling made it clear that NCAA restrictions, including on NIL activity, could face serious legal challenges in the future. The NCAA's board of directors then adopted a temporary rule change that opened the door for NIL activity, instructing schools to set their own policy should what, for what should be allowed with minimal guidelines. Now, ultimately, that is, you know, we started with the glass half full because that's what we do here at Crack Rockets. We want to focus <laughs> on the positives. But yeah, yeah. there are some negatives we should probably explore, Lisa. And one of them being, of course, while it's great, that the best athletes are going to be able to profit and that the best schools will be able to take advantage of this. What about everyone else? What about the schools that aren't don't have the local car dealership that's going to be able to hook up the number one singles player with a car? What about the schools that don't have the football programs that will feed into a lot of other sponsorship opportunities for the non-revenue Olympic sports? That's absolutely a factor in this, and I think another big sure. picture thing we have to talk about, and we talked about this beforehand, it's just the uncertainty. There's so much right. we don't yet know, it feels like, about this ruling and the impact. Well, absolutely, and you know, again, as we were talking offline, it, everything comes down to getting clearance from the compliance officer at your particular school, right? So. Um, if a student athlete has a question about how they can capitalize on name image likeness, they need to go to the compliance officer at their school and just get the, the okay, get the green light, um, get it in writing and don't rely on a verbal, oh yeah, that's fine. No, get it in writing and hang on to it print it out, stick it in a safe place, um, because you may need to come back to that printout at a later date when somebody calls you out for doing something that you've gotten permission to do, as we've seen, you know, in numerous circumstances. So, um, but I, I hear you about, you know, how does this apply to tennis? The cool thing is that we're seeing collegiate tennis players already who have built this massive following on social media and who are going to be able to capitalize on that. And I, I was reading an article published on athleticdirectoru.com that talked about like what the potential earnings are and, and how would you look at it. And the metric that they, they all are using is Instagram followers mm -hmm. and you know, looking at a percentage of Instagram followers as, um, sorry, I've got a call coming in. I'm trying <laughs> to get rid of it. Um, I think I did. Um, using Instagram followers and, and the percentage, you know, um, X cents per thousand followers, whatever, to kind of figure out uh, what the potential earnings are for some of these players. And one of the things I thought 
really interesting was this athletic director, you put together a chart of the most valuable college athletes. And of course, you know, we see a lot of basketball, football, etc. on there. But guess what? There's actually a women's tennis player on that list. Mm -hmm. And they're saying she has the potential to earn $53,000 from name image likeness based on her social media following. And she goes to Cleveland State University. So it's not even, you know, a power five school. Um, and we've got a women's tennis player on this list of most valuable college athletes. I mean, I, I just find that amazing. Mm-hmm. No. And, you know, shout out to our friend Jay at Jay Wilson Tennis who put together yep. uh, some really fantastic stats. And yeah. as we're talking, I just retweeted a bunch of them so listeners can be able to go find them on both of our Twitter feeds. But, you know, yeah, he, he listed out what the average followers are for the top 10 players, you know, 11 through 25, et cetera, et cetera. For the top 10 women, the numbers are approximately about 2,500 for the top 10, you know, 2,000 for 11 through 25, about 1,000 to 1500 outside of that for the men it's a little bit higher 11 through 25 a little bit lower uh in the top 10 but relatively similar numbers the question is is that big you know what sort of appeal is that in a broader sense does that bring it you know are those instagram numbers enough to bring in the big companies or will it be and it's it does feel like it will be on the programs, on the coaches, on the compliance officers to sort of provide those opportunities for their players, and that's where things start to get scary. Where is it the best schools? Because you know Ohio State's already ready to lock and load. And I don't say this in a yep. negative connotation, by the way. It's a credit to Ohio State that they are ready to lock and load. It's a credit to a school like Michigan. I promise we're ready right. to lock and load. All of the big schools have the assets, have the resources, have the staffs in place to ensure that whatever rules are in place right now, they're not breaking them. But what about the smaller schools? What about the Cleveland States or, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example of a school, a, a UCF, we'll say, although they're a little bit different because their football team's pretty good. But, you know, the schools that don't have the big programs and don't have the big right. accolades, will they be able to provide anything or will it just become even more the haves and the have nots in college sports? I mean, I think we're always going to have that kind of two cast system in college sports. Sure. And, you know, it's been around for longer than I've been alive, which is a really long time. And I don't see it going away anytime soon. But, you know, the even deeper question in my mind, Alex, has to do with the high school athletes. Yeah. And when they're going through recruiting, you know, now is it going to be incumbent on families to hire some sort of branding consultant to, you know, build these kids' social media following so that they become an even bigger asset to the college that's recruiting them? What is going to be kind of the the revenue share between the athlete and the school or the athlete and the NCAA? Um, you know, are there going to be uh, some sort of percentage put in place where the school says, you know, if we hook you up with this endorsement, then we get X percentage as your agent for for making this deal for you. You know, and then, I don't know, it just starts to get so convoluted. But Jay, you mentioned Jay Wilson Tennis on Twitter. Jay brings up a really good point, too, which is, like, as we're recording this, um, 
the Atlanta, I, I think it's called the Truest Open now, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the John Isner Open, yeah. The John Isner Open, yes. <laughs> the Atlanta 250 yeah. ATP event. Um, and they do a college night every year. They pick uh, two college players, you know, from local schools, Georgia Tech, UGA, to come out and play. And, you know, the supporters come out, and it's, it's an awesome event, and they publicize the heck out of it. They do a great job. But the athletes don't make any money off that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, are the athletes going to get paid for having their faces on the posters and, you know, all the promo materials? They should be able to, to negotiate that. Who does that? Does the athlete, him or herself, do it? Do, do they need to hire an agent who then takes a cut? You know, how does this all work? Yeah, no, and it's also sponsorships. It's like, well, you know, our school's Nike. It's like, yeah, but I played with Adidas my whole life, and they're still Mm -hmm. paying me, and they'd like me to stay with Adidas, so I'm going to continue to do that. And, you know, it's also kind of ridiculous that, and for tennis, I suppose it's a specific example because you can play pro events while being a collegiate athlete, but, like, you don't get your pro pro prize money. Sorry, can't keep that. That's that's not endorsement money. That's prize money, and that compromises your status as an amateur. And where does that line fall um i agree with you it's also definitely uh, it's on the co- and you know again it's it's always on the coaching staff coaching is the most important thing in college tennis because they're the ones running the program but do you have a coach who has the connections to help hook you up do you have an open and honest relationship where you know hey coach i've got this endorsement deal and there's no shadiness there's no as you mentioned you got to give me a cut it's just it's certainly another layer of intrigue at the same time we all agree this system is better than the prior, but in particular, because college tennis is a sport that's governed by four and a half scholarship on the men's side. Like, all right, well, if the good at schools, D1. yeah, at, at the D one level, so, thank you, yeah, at the D one level specifically, yes. do those like the good schools now get seven? Like, that's essentially what it is. Is it's like, all right, we can find three and a half. Like, is that what a coach has to do? Is I go find three and a half more in scholarship money, ensure everyone on the team is fully loaded, anything extra from that, you're good. Like, I, I it's it's going to be easier for the good school. I, I, I keep harping on this point, but that's right. what it is. It's like, and you're right, that, that dynamic has always existed. Yes. But this does feel like a potential inflection point, right? That could put that that lead over the top. I mean, you saw there's, what, Alabama said they've already got millions in offers for their players, and there's a high school quarterback who's already inked over in a million-dollar deal. And I'm not saying that's going to happen in tennis, but, like, what would Will Blumberg's rate have been? going into the 2017 season well, like exactly. Uh, and, exactly and and it's 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 scary to think right in a good way good scary well right and that's the thing too that you know a lot of people hear oh division one and you know you're playing division one you're a scholarship player and they assume that means you have a full ride to that mm-hmm. program well again only the tip top out of the recruiting class are getting a full ride. Everybody else is supplementing their scholarship money with other income, whether mm-hmm. it's from their parents or they're, you know, they've got a side hustle and they're they're having to earn money to help supplement. They're doing a work study, whatever it is. Well, now now NIL can be their side hustle, right? Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity to supplement that scholarship money. So I think, you know, on the one hand, it's going to be a recruiting advantage, like you're saying, for those schools who have already kind of 
figured this out and put some things in place so that incoming players already are going to be locked and loaded to get this money. And so they're going to be able to recruit people that they might not have been able to recruit because they didn't have enough scholarship money. Now they supplement it, as you're saying, with, you know, the NIL revenue. Um, that's a great thing. You know, maybe it's going to open the door for players to get to play at schools where they previously wouldn't have been able to go. You know, they, they're just, they couldn't afford it for whatever reason or, um, you know, I don't know. But I feel like anything where the revenue is coming even partially to the student athlete is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you. And again, it's really tough to say this is good, this is bad when there are no rules really governing this right now. And it's in such its infancy stages and we haven't seen the long-term consequences nor the long-term benefits of you know what this will end up shaking out as. Now, I'm going to ask you to put on your commissioner hat, Lisa Stone, parenting ace, the ace of all aces, coming up with her rules What are the things you don't want to see in terms of the impact of this on the junior circuit, on the, you know, the recruiting process? Certainly, I mean, you're always going to have agents and sponsors hovering at junior events, but given the fact that, you know, they can now find top juniors, you feel like their presence at the most pronounced events going to be, or at the biggest events going to be that much more pronounced. Are there Mm -hmm. things you are hesitant about? Are there things you are worried about seeing, you know, what are the rules you'd put in place? Sure. I mean, the biggest concern I have is juniors and their families choosing a college program for the wrong reasons. And that's always been a concern of mine. I feel like, you know, people are not doing their homework appropriately and not asking the questions, not talking to the right people. And what are the questions? Who are the right people? I mean, they need to be asking of current players what is your experience like here are you getting to pursue the major that you came to college to pursue you know are you getting to spend the time developing your game to go on the pro tour when you graduate because that was your goal when you came in and that's what was promised to you are you getting to play in the lineup where you were promised you were going to get to play And a lot of times, and listen, I'm friends with a lot of college coaches and, you know, I, I have really good relationships with them, but their job is to sell the junior player and the family on their school. And some of them use tactics that are, they're sales, you know, they straddle the line of, of ethics, in my opinion. Um, sometimes they're on the wrong side of that line, but yes, they're salesmen. That's their job is to get the best players they can get for their program. And sometimes they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. And then you get there and your reality is very, very different. So it is imperative that players and their families do their due diligence Talk not only to current players, but talk to players who have recently graduated. Talk to the parents of those players and learn what their experience was like. And believe me, I've talked to my fair share of them, and and I was one. So um, it's mind-boggling. And so now with this NIL thing, I feel like it's an even greater 
um, kind of Pandora's box for the college coaches to make promises that they might not be able to or be willing to deliver on once the player is actually on campus. And that is a concern of mine, a, a big concern. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And as you know, we're working on a series here on transferring the mechanics of it, why it happens, trying to, I suppose, destigmatize the aura surrounding transfer because there's always such a negative connotation. And sometimes you just don't have the right fit right away. And you do worry the overpromising, the, you know, whatever it may be that gets a player to a school, if it is an NIL, perhaps a related decision. That that just again uh, sort of uh, continues to uh, continues to prolong the the, the cycle, I, yeah, I suppose, yeah. and and the suffering. And so, um, no, I I think those are all again valid concerns. Concerns I share as well. Now, again, to get back glass half full here, it is going to be very very cool to see players be able, in particular, to keep their sponsors. It's amazing you go to college, and that is some of the concerns for some of the top-ranked juniors. Is it's well, my contract here says I got to go play pros right away, or you know, I want to be able to stay with Nike, stay with uh, Wilson, stay with Babylon. They're not going to stick with me if I go to college. They're not going to be able to do that, right? They are going to be able to stick with them, and and I feel like that mm-hmm. is again when you look at the the glass half full side. It does outweigh all of the concern. Like, obviously, the NCAA is going to want to protect itself, but there's a reason for this decision. The athletes were getting screwed forever. For sure. And, you know, interestingly, you, you bring up the, the whole um, notion of the, like, the manufacturer sponsorships. I mean, I've known several players over the 10 years I've been doing parenting aces that, you know, had a sponsorship, went to college, the, the, the college's sponsor was a different company, but the player was allowed to continue wearing, playing with their prior sponsor's gear. Um, how did that work? How did they make that happen? I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I always found that really interesting that in some very rare cases, those loopholes were found and, you know, crawled through. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, for me, the last thing I want to see happen is for parents to feel like this is yet another burden on them as they go through the junior tennis journey, right? They already mm-hmm. feel like they've got not only to pay for a coach and to pay for all the equipment, gear and stuff, they have to hire a fitness coach. They have to hire, you know, a sports site person. They have to hire a, a PT I mean, there's so much involved in helping your child reach their highest potential in the sport. Now do we have to hire, you know, brand agents, branding agents or marketers um, for our kid? Do we have to have, you know, photographs taken all the time to, to, you know, do we have to hire social media managers? I mean, where does it end? And what implication does that have for junior tennis and families considering tennis for their kids? So I, you know, I, there are a lot of questions that are unanswered. And, and again, I want to just reiterate that, you know, any questions need to be posed to compliance officers at the particular schools that you're looking at. Um, the NCAA Eligibility Center is also an incredible resource for junior players going through college recruiting. So I want to encourage everybody to make sure to utilize that resource. I know for me, I called them 
probably weekly when my son was going through recruiting. I mean, they answered so many questions for me. And um, I, I think we have to be really careful not to take anything for granted, not not to assume that something is okay. Um, and, and just, again, to get everything in writing and keep it in a file just in case you need it down the road. Mm-hmm. All valid points, again, spoken like the parenting ace. Um, no, it's it's all it's all a gag, right? It's all just to get another tutor, another session, another marketer. You are concerned though if like players start to think, well, I got to worry about my image more than my game itself. Does the game start yeah. stuff? It's all the little. I mean, that first of all, that already happens, but is that become even more pronounced? And you know, I. There are, there are so many uh, – again, it, this is a conversation we're going to have to have you back on as we learn more details. But because it is so unknown, it really will be what players, what coaches, what organiz- or what colleges are able and athletic departments can make the most of this situation. And all of sure. them are proactive right now. All of them have set up their, their uh, department for their athletes to try and take advantage of this ruling. But – Inevitably, there will be schools that do it better than others, and until we know, sure. until we know who those schools are, it's kind of hard, right? Until we see what strategies work, what strategies don't, it's kind of hard to offer any advice beyond that, right? There really is just so much unknown, right? And and one piece that we haven't even touched on, Alex, which was brought up in that athletic director you article, and I thought was really interesting, um, was what effect is COVID going to have on all of this, right? Very because true. There are a lot of brands that won't be able to or willing to spend a lot of money sponsoring these collegiate athletes. They're just mm-hmm. not going to have the budgets for it due to what COVID's done to their business. So I think, you know, while it all sounds awesome, and I'm sure a lot of these athletes have stars in their eyes and or dollar signs in their eyes, um, let's be careful and kind of keep a low profile on this because just because in the past companies were throwing money at athletes for, you know, different endorsements, et cetera, they just may not have the budgets for it right now. And so I think really, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, that the timing is probably pretty good with this Supreme court decision because of COVID that there's not going to be this massive pool of money being thrown at the athletes. It's going to be tempered somewhat due to just the economic environment we're in right now. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. No, again, we don't know what the numbers even look like right now. How much, as Jay brought up, what is the Instagram per follower dollar amount and how many messages are going to be in? You know, I'm sure there will be some coaches who say, hey, you can't do this during the season. Like, I need you to lock in. And there will be some coaches who just aren't a fan of what this does and how how does that affect certain programs as well? What will be the backlash? It's, It's fascinating. It really, really is. And and again, net benefits, I guess, as we wrap up here, despite all the unknowns, despite all the concerns, athletes now have the chance to, as you mentioned, just make a make a living off of their livelihood throughout their college time. Because when you are a college athlete, as dedicated as you are to your academics and as dedicated as you are to having a social life outside of athletics, the athletics themselves are a full-time job. And at least now you have the opportunity to market yourself off of any, uh, you know, any success you have in that full-time job. And can you imagine the resume value of this for the 
graduating college oh. players who oh, are not planning to go on tour. You're right? all They're marketing planning. graduates. You all have a degree in marketing. That's right. And and every job, every single job, I don't care what it is, requires you to be able to sell something, whether it's an idea, a product, yourself, whatever. And and NIL is providing kind of on-the-job training for these athletes, and I think that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Except here at Cracked Rackets, we try to keep all of our content from as few, uh, you know, away from as many years as possible. I hope no one listens to this. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, but no, again, it's it's a really, really exciting time. And, you know, you brought up the COVID stuff. You know what the added component is? You have an extra year of players over the next three years in so many yeah. of these sports as well. So who do have that extra familiarity with their communities, who do have that extra just recognition or will have the opportunity to gain yep. that with that additional season by the way does that affect transferring why leave when you've got a solid paid gig and oh the the coach doesn't have a scholarship for me if I want to come back for a fifth year but it's okay because I'm getting 50k on the side from the clinic that I get to teach now every week here in my local community because I can go do that stuff now and it's just like if I'm a local club I mean if I'm a tennis coach I'm going to every local club within 15 minutes of my school and saying hey Get my like if you want my kids for a clinic once a week. Here's the number. Like if you can provide this, my team will be here every week, and your clinic will explode. And it's like there's a oh way to gosh. do this. And doing programs. Can oh, you imagine? My mom has been on a charity bender. Alex, like why don't they at Michigan? Why call Coach Steinberg right now and just tell him come to the sports club? Like and, and anyways, um, uh, like yeah, you can just see like millions of those, and they can get paid yeah. now to do it. And it's like you don't need yeah. to raise money for the program; you can raise money for yourself. And in the yeah. end, you know, there's no uh, there's no I in team, but there's damn sure an Emmy. And like, yeah. let's get let's get that money for sure, for sure. And I can tell you as a parent. I would have been thrilled for my son to be able to capitalize on that stuff, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he he had a nice scholarship, but it was by no means a full ride. And, mm-hmm. you know, it would have been amazing for him to be able to supplement like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's a win. And, again, it'll be interesting to see which teams do it well, which teams do it don't. You start to hear things, but until we actually see pens, papers, cars on campus, as long as, like – as long as my par- you know, as long as the parking's not cr- crowded at the Varsity Tennis Center in Ann Arbor, because all the teams now got you know H- bright yellow H twos, and I'm like, come on, like, <laughs> don't take all the spots. Like, as long as that doesn't happen, I'll be happy. But no, a- any final thoughts from you on this ruling? Anything we haven't covered yet? No, I just think you know, again, anything that that helps the athletes and helps the athletes' families along the way. Uh, college tuitions are only going in the northward direction, and anything that we can do to offset some of the expense and to have our athletes graduate from college with little to no debt is amazing. So, um, you know, whether they're going out on tour or whether they're going into the working world, uh, the ability to have some money in the bank when they embark on their adult career path, whatever that is, is a win. And and I'm thrilled and, and very, very excited to see where this goes in the next couple years. 
Mm-hmm. No, it's again, as always, if you're not watching college tennis, you should be because it is the most exciting place across the tennis universe. And of course, another thing you should be doing if you're not already is subscribing to everything coming to us from the Parenting Aces platform. Uh, as always, before you go, I got to ask anything cool coming down the pipeline we should be waiting for? Well, I, I think I told you this offline, but I am also working on it's kind of a project article on college tennis the good the bad and the ugly and mm-hmm. um so any of your listeners that have stories to share about their college tennis experience i urge them to reach out to me lisa at parentingaces.com or they can dm me through facebook twitter instagram youtube wherever um at parenting aces and also we are launching kind of a, a soft launch an affiliate program for our premium memberships so if there are any coaches listening that want to kind of have a little side revenue reach out to me and i'll talk to you about what we're doing on that front so always new stuff happening speaking of nil opportunities i've said i've told him this he won't do it yet i feel like you could fill fill in here as well if me you and parsa did a pod where we just swapped rumors and it was like patreon only five dollars to subscribe every coach would subscribe and it'd have to be like look we're gonna say mean things and like if you're subscribing you can't get angry at us if we say mean things but like we're gonna say all the mean things publicly so we can all hear all the mean things about everyone and i think we could make i like that's an nil opportunity we'd have to pay taxes on that income that's what i would say yeah yeah, I would love that. Let's do it. It's just Parson won't do in. it. Parson's like, I can't. He's like, anonymity. Oh, come on. People still don't think he's a real person. I'm like, he's I've, a real person. I've met him. I, I me too. I still, though, sometimes am not sure. I'm like, are yeah. we sure this is the same guy? Like, that's not him. Uh, but no. He I, was in high school when I met him. So there uh, you go. Is he, he might still be. Who knows? I, nah, he makes me feel nah. old. Um <laughs> No, I think him and I. Well, you make me feel old. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, that's uh, that's it. No, that that's perfect. That's full circle. And again, no, we are a fan of all of your content you are doing. Sincerely, Uh, it is the sort of work I know my parents would have greatly appreciated uh, if when I was playing tournaments. I know there are so many who do as well. So, Lisa, thank you as always for taking the time to chat. You're actually now that you say it, you definitely said the good, the bad, the ugly because I definitely made the joke. I think it was on the call. The good the bad the ugly which is a picture of dalton and then the handsome which is a picture of me and all things that was definitely i was like yep it was a dr seuss book the good the bad the ugly the handsome um but yep that's it's all because see i do remember things eventually it's just like it takes me a second nowadays because it's in between six podcasts a day but thank you as always for taking the time lisa be safe be healthy we'll talk to you again soon thanks alex Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Parenting Aces, Lisa Stone. Again, ParentingAces.com, truly one of the best resources in all of tennis. I am such a fan of Lisa. She's been far too kind to our Crack Rackets team. So if you want to learn more about NIL, uh, the NIL decision, about the recruiting process, and just all things from the parenting perspective, obviously, as her title indicates, but of course, just again, from an academic perspective, and I say that affectionately, no one breaks down the issues in with more depth than Lisa. So if you want to learn more about them, go check out all of her work. Be expecting more of her on these podcasts because again, I always enjoy the opportunity to get the chance to work with her. But of course, we've had so many great conversations of late about the many storylines across the various levels 
of the Tennis World Challenger Talk on Monday's GSP, or Tuesday, I suppose, this week with Damian Kust and Jakob Babaro. Of late, we've had Gary Nathan, Ben Rothenberg, David uh, Kane, Jeff Sackman, uh, David Gertler. If you've missed any of those shows, just scroll down on your Great Shot podcast feed or head on over to our website, crackrackets.com where you can find all of our content of course if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod of course like rate subscribe review to the of the six ncaa championship conversations we are looking for division one men's singles and doubles women's singles and doubles and of course the two head coaches we're halfway there, but the journey continues. If you've missed any of those conversations, you can find them on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to super producers Max Fleekner and Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout-out as well to our friends over at Turn to Tennis. Remember, contact sales at uniquesports.com. Or call 804-3707. With all that said, for our wonderful co-host Lisa Stone, our super producers Fliegner and Westoff, our friends over at Turner Tennis, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>